All right, let's get, turn our hearts now to the scripture. It looks like it's going to fall. That's better. Let's uh, take our hearts to the scripture now and um, in the book of Mark. I, you know, I also I often want to give an introduction to these these stories and texts, and so I'm kind of you know, and I'm always wondering how much I should give or to what extent. Mark Mark is intent on a thesis that begins from the very beginning, and in the first verse that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the value of understanding the thesis is, the, is, is that unlocks the arrangement of the material. There is an arrangement of material that every synoptic writer and John, they all have ways they arrange their material. And the arrangement of the material has in itself a pedagogical value, a value for teaching, a value for communicating truth. And the arrangement of the material can be very instructive. It can, can lead you through some of the labyrinth of why this story, why this story, why this story, what's happening? And so we are at a point now and have been where, where, where Mark is specifically listing miracles and amazing testimonies in chapter 6 uh, that, are, that would communicate this Son of God concept to the Jewish people. And this is a slight transition. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it shows God's love to his people, for those who are reading. As we read this today, you're going to notice that there's, Mark is also assuming that you're a Gentile. The Gentiles are hearing this. And Gentiles, who are not, somebody, anybody who's not a Jew is called a Gentile in, in, in this Old Testament, in this ancient world we're looking at, this Palestinian world of the first century. And so uh, it assumes you don't know what Korban is or, or why, this is, why there's an issue in this text. It assumes that. But the Jewish miracles have been the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of 5,000. What, what is that reminiscent of? Does anybody remember? Manna. Manna. So Christ is reenacting the Exodus miracles. He's reenacting the Old Testament. And if you get bored with what I'm saying, read Exodus. And while I'm talking on your phone. So feeding 5,000. Then he walks on water. And uh, walking on H2O is what? He is reenacting the party of the Red Sea. He is the water of the waters. Now, this, this, this pairing right here, these are the two great works in, early, in the early book of Exodus, are meant to show you, look, look who this is. And as a Jewish person, you want to be able to track uh, from your uh, familiarity with those old stories that this is indeed an astounding claim being made about this particular person. Now we have a crisis that is distinctively Jewish as well. Okay, and, uh, and so it, it makes sense. He's clustering, Mark is intentionally clustering uh, these, uh, these things for teaching. So this crisis now is going to be about uh, um, uh, ceremonial washing. Ceremonial washings or ablutions. All the way up to the fifth, the word fifth is in there. There's a, there were different washings. There's a washing that was dipped and sh shook, shaken, like a baptizo was the word for it. And then there's a washing where you went up to your shoulder, up to your, up to your um, elbows, I'm sorry, and you plunged in. And in fact, uh, that, all that was actually dictated as well, all the way down to how it was done. Uh, and in fact, 
what had happened was in the Torah, which is represented by the first five books of the Bible, uh, of the Bible, there's a lot of rules. And the ancients, about 200 years before this, and we, with our, 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 our recent thing in Mishnah, uh, which was our, our most recent copy of the Mishnah, it's about 200, 200 AD, um, around the Torah, around it, was a hedge was, 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 was made, a hedge of laws called the Mishnah. And this, and this hedge of laws was, was meant to give you uh, extra protection. Uh, maybe you were afraid you might break the Sabbath, and uh, you had to be careful not to spit on the ground, and then if you spit on the ground, if your shoe uh, moved the ground, you were cultivating, and you might accidentally be working on the Sabbath. You, uh, if you had a handkerchief and you wanted to go from the first floor to the second floor, you can't carry your handkerchief. That's work. You might violate the Sabbath, but you can wear your handkerchief. So you'd wear your handkerchief, tie it around your neck, then go downstairs, and then blow your nose or give it to somebody else to blow their nose. So it was an elaborate assembly and expansion of oral and written tradition around the law. Okay. Uh, the mission is about 136 pages long. 35 pages of it alone are just about how to clean cups and bowls. 35 pages. Give you an idea. Christ is about to get really angry about this. Let's, let's, let's read it together. We're going to read 653. We'll notice that there is a ramp up. There is an increasing excitement in the text. As I read the text, I'll stop occasionally so we can see it. And, uh, and uh, more than ever before, Christ's notoriety now is creating, uh, is creating um, unique problems for his ministry and his work. And uh, you know, people are running now. People describe just running. We'll hear, we'll read it. Uh, Mark 6, 53 through 723. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about. This is frenetic activity, right? It's, it's describing, it's amped up. It's much, much, it's escalating around the whole region and began to bring back the stick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came in, came in villages, in cities, or on the countryside, they had laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. Now, a teacher in the, in the, in, it would have tassels hanging as a part of a, the ceremonial uh, 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 clothes. And, he, and apparently Christ would have had tassels like a, a Jewish teacher would have. And touched even the fringe of his garment. And this is a reference back to the story of the woman. Remember the woman who touched his garment? A few, uh, a few chapters before, well, people must have heard about it, right? You must have heard about it. All you have to do is touch his garment now. So there's a rising excitement. And as many as touched it were made well. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the, the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, what's going on? He's so popular that the religious leaders are checking this out now. This is an official delegation from Jerusalem. They have come to check 
on the new leader who is so popular. This is an investigative, this is an investigative foray. And they begin to notice things immediately that are out of order. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. <laughs> Give you an idea of just how cocky, how kind of uh, class conscious this is. The word for unclean there is the word for common. You just suppose the word for koinai, like the word for common. Very, it betrays some of the attitude here, doesn't it? So they, they, they become common. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. There are no parentheses, by the way, in ancient Greek, but we know this is a parenthetical inter interlocution by Mark, and he's just explaining to, to the people who would have heard this, who are like, what's going on? And uh, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. That's what I was talking about here. Uh, the oral tradition. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and, and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the, to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, you understand that's an indictment of him understand that that's not and this is not curiosity you have you've made a big mistake and he said to them now we're going to see Christ it gets, more, it gets a little intimidating and in the chapters ahead and he has no patience for this he said to them Isaiah prophesied well about you hypocrites <laughs> the word for hypocrites there is the word for actor Hypocrite, it's a word for player. Phony. Phonies. You hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him. This is an imperative. Also, he calls it, he invites everybody, come here, come in, come in. Hear me, all of you, and understand. I'm going to stop here. This is, a, this is a pivotal point in the history of all of the Bible, right here. It's a pivotal point, what he says. It's very radical. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. All right. Uh, it doesn't record how angry they got or what the response was. Well, we're going to find out how angry they got because they want to kill him. 
But uh, notice that his inner circle doesn't understand this either. They think this is a parable, and it's not even a parable. Watch. And he entered the house and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, now listen, this is wonderful. There's a, there's a pattern here. And um, uh, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Now, right after that, there's going to come a list of 12 items. The first six are in the plural. The last six are in the singular. Twelve of them occur in the Old Testament in Greek. It's wonderful list. He covers everything here. Sexual immorality, pornea, we get the word pornography from it. Take the lesson in the word there. Thefts, properly. Murders, properly. Adulteries. I love that it's all in the plural because it, it implies the multiplicity of it. You get it? The, the expansiveness of it. Coveting, as is wonderful. Eyes, eyes of wickedness. That's the word. <laughs> wickedness itself. And that deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and folly. Folly, that's the folly that's used in the book of Proverbs. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Father, I pray that what comes out of me today would come from you, you alone. You know, this, this kind of text, it just, it, it just mass. And um, I seek what comes from your heart, Father, not my own. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 so Jeremiah 17, verse 9 is what I'm thinking of. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The heart of man is deceitful above all things. Who can, who can know it? Who can, what, can, what can I compare it to? There are three things, that are three deceptions that I find instructive and I hope will instruct you and encourage you. Three, three things that we can be deceived about out of our hearts. Three things that are obstacles to us accessing, I think, this, uh, uh, what, is, what is really out of the heart of God. <laughs> three things that come out of our hearts, three things that come out of our hearts in deception that in a sense reject or, or block us or, 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 or make inaccessible what is coming out of the heart of God here. What is coming out of the heart of God in Christ. And the, what comes out of the heart of men, men and women, it comes out of the heart of us. And the three deceptions are, are, are right here in the text. And the three deceptions are, are the first one is a deception. It comes out of our heart is deception uh, of self-piety. 
The second is a deception, a deception, a self-deception about our sinfulness. And the final deception, the final obstacle that we cannot see is who is speaking. Who is really, who it is, who it is who speaks. These obstacles exist. All right, what's the first obstacle? Self-piety. Ah, the first blindness that comes. Many of you are too young to have experienced uh, things like, um, uh, well, when I was at Wheaton, I, I had to make a pledge that I wouldn't dance or use tobacco or, or, um, or drink. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of, a, uh, uh, of, a, of an old joke uh, that's rather distasteful, uh, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's never stopped me before. Uh, why do Baptists have intercourse? Why do they have sexual relationships standing up? Or why can't they? I'm sorry. Why can't they? Why are they forbidden from doing that? Too much like dancing? It might lead to dancing. Thank you. <laughs> I Where did that? Yeah, yeah. There, you, you know that. <laughs> you, boy, you probably knew the punchline without even knowing the joke. I did. Exactly. There you go. And so, well, I want you to pay attention. The joke is Jesus' joke here. That's Christ's joke. That's the, it's not a funny joke even here. But the humor is, don't you get it? You traded something here. And this is what the heart of man does. If you want to be confronted with the perfect law of God, let me, let me deliver it to you. You shall love the Lord your God, Stacy, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you, my dear sister, shall love your neighbor like yourself. This is the sum total of the law. It is the exhaustive effort of every atom and molecule of your person to love another person and to love God. Like, Total surrender and complete, complete, it is a mountain, an Everest of love that we're asked to climb when it comes to every human being you've ever met and before a holy God. Now, there's a couple things that are not fun about that command. Uh, first, it's not possible. What's well, even worse for the self-righteous among us, of which I count myself a very, a very, very healthy member. Nobody can measure that one. Who's going to see if I love Lord God, like God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? They're not measurable, and you don't get the pleasure of having Shao go, wow. Right? Nobody can see it, can't do it. You know, if I make, I can make, I can start to, I could make some other rules, though. We could make some rules. We could make some standards about hair length and attire, maybe. Maybe we could, maybe we could make, and those could be the rules. Those could be the way we could measure each other. And maybe then, maybe then we could be at least, at the very least, successful in front. Yes! And then we're going to have a position when we've got those rules that we can finally condemn Nick because he didn't look like us and talk, talk like us and smoke like us or drink like us. Well, who, well, you, you pick it. You make it. And becomes the vantage point for you to display your righteousness and the vantage point with which you can judge others. It's measurable. It's tangible. It's seeable. It's tasteable. It's washable. 
the first deceit when encountering the law of God is to make your own law. It's to make your own law and therefore make your own righteousness and, and get, and that's a blindness that comes in. All right, some of you could say to me, I don't do that. Maybe you do it about being reformed. I don't, I don't care what it is. You can come up with anything, any tradition, any love, anything that which you can say you're better than somebody else and point out their weaknesses as a way of establishing your self-righteousness. And nobody is immune to this. <laughs> nobody is immune to this deception. And Christ nails them with it. He sees it right, he sees it, what it has done. Because when you make that trade for a self-righteous, self-constructed piety by which you may judge others and exalt yourself, you have missed what? You, you, know, you miss the heart of the law, which is love. There's no love there. There's no discovery. There's no perception. There's only blindness. Whew. What's the second deception? These, uh, the second deception is just like the first, but it's, it's reverse image. And it's the refusal to see the sinfulness in your own heart. His refusal to admit or to assess. How do we, what does that look like? How, what does it look like when we're not assessing or not able to see or not able to believe or identify the way Christ does, the multiplicity of our, this, you know, the heart of man uh, is like a pomegranate, according to Christ. Your heart is like a pomegranate. And what's inside a pomegranate? It's wonderful when you open it up. Tons and tons of seeds, right? It's, all the seeds are good. Every one of these, every, every, every corruption is in you like a seed. Every corruption is in you like a seed, waiting to germinate. By the way, that defeats any judgment of another person. That's what's, but as we kind of come there, you know, all of that's in us. We're pregnant with possibility when it comes to sin. We are, we are ripe to give all, to, to any kind of error, any kind of crime. Uh, Whatever it is you think you can't do, beware. I say beware. George McDonald was on a, one of the great evangelical leaders of the 80s. He was on a plane, and the man asked him, so you're a preacher? He's like, yeah. Well, what's the one sin you think you, you, you could never do? And he goes, oh, I know exactly what it is. I know what it is. I know what it is. It's, I will never be unfaithful to my wife. And... Uh, in that moment, he didn't believe this text, right? And um, it was within a week and a half he had uh, committed adultery and destroyed his ministry. Beware. Oh, how do you know you're doing this? How do you know that you're not admitting your sinfulness and not living with the second blindness and deceit? I can tell you, oh, I, there's two ways to identify you're doing this. Do you blame other people for the things you do? Do you blame other people? We learned uh, actually in the garden. Uh, who does who does who does uh, who does um, Adam blame? Does anybody remember who does the man blame? The woman. That he and it, by the way, he blames both the woman and God because he says it's that woman you gave me. Get it? It's your fault and her fault. And then what does she say? It was the snake. And, it look, and you made the fruit look good. It looked good. <clears throat> huh? Yeah. 
We'll talk about that later. <laughs> no, it was not just a snake at all. Blaming. Are you a person who blames? Well, you blame your genetics, you blame your mom and dad, you blame your husband, you blame your wife, you blame your friends, you blame your boss. You blame... And that blaming act is one way we're constantly trying to evade a self-understanding that what we are producing is the fruit of our hearts. <laughs> I, uh, I walked in the other day. Uh, I walked in the other day. My son's not here, so I don't have to pay him for this. I have to pay him when I use him as an illustration. So don't tell him. He walked in, and he was mad at me. I'm like, what, what is He says, you told me to go take that thing I had to drop in the mail, and you told me to go downtown and do it. And because you forced me to do it, I lost it. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I remember I went back into my room and tried to figure out how many little collection mailboxes there are in the downtown area, and they're everywhere. But you, you see what he's doing. And their kids will do this. It, he wants to blame me for expecting him to be responsible. It's ridiculous. You do it to God. You do it to God all the time. What's another way you can discover that you are you are self-deceived this way? Um, if you think you know the motives for what other people do, it's one of the great ways you can. You ever look at somebody and go, "Oh, I know why she's doing that. She just wants to be popular." Now, you know what? You really don't know why she does it. What you just advertised for anybody who wants to hear is why you would do it. It's called projection, right? We assign, and you will unerringly always assign to other people the motives that you would have if you were doing what they're doing. I want you to catch yourself. You see, once you think you have the inside track on what the heart of man or women or friends ha is, you are merely exposing for, for Christ's truth-telling about who you are, just why it is, who it is you really are inside. You are pregnant with the possibility. You are alive with the potential for every wickedness that you have ever seen. But what's the third thing that they can't see? Who is speaking? It's um, an amazement. Notice how amazed everybody is. Here's a mattress. Maybe Jesus will just touch him. Just touch him. And amazement, or maybe you're amazed by Jesus, or you think it's amazing that you're incited, but excitement and amazement does not equal saving faith or understanding. Even the disciples, the men closest to him, surrounding him, and the religious intelligentsia of the day, everybody, nobody gets who he is. Why can he make all things clean? Why can he do that? Why can he talk like this? Why does he talk like this? Because he is the Lord of glory. He is the end of the law and its fulfillment. All the ceremonial washings, all the ceremonial washings, and there were washings in the Old Testament. Washings were meant to be, he's the one that washes. Failures to be what the holy law is were all advertisements that he would be your holy perfection itself. And that's the wonderful surprise. The mouth of love is angry. That's why he's angry. It's the mouth and heart of God that's angry. When our self-deception keeps us from his love. You get that? That's why Christ is so aroused. Because he is the heart of love. And he knows, the heart of love knows, he must take deep self-righteousness and rip it down. Or else he will never know 
the freedom of the sons of God and daughters of the king, that we don't have to be righteous. He is all our righteousness. And he is stern and he will go after Ted. He will tell Ted of the innumerable wickednesses. Wickednesses. Wickedness. <laughs> that dwell and inhabit and crawl in his heart. Why? Why will the mouth of love grab Ted by the heart to do that? Because until he knows that, he won't know how deeply he's been cleansed. How, how the washing of the rebirth by faith in Jesus Christ, by the event of the cross, he'll never grasp. He'll never get close. He who has been forgiven much, what? Loves much. He'll never be open to the heart of love and become a heart of love himself in Christ. The gospel will remain buried and hidden and removed. So, uh, Uh, I'm excited, obviously, you can see. I want you to join me in a journey together as a community. Um, I hear what Christ says this. Are you also without understanding? All right, some of you don't know God yet in this personal renewal way, this transformational way. God's change in his work and his heart and his love is a transformation from the inside out. That's what he's promising here. He's going to, he is going to transform us from the inside out. So until you have put, wholly put, your faith in Christ, you don't have that joy of knowing all of his righteousness, all of his goodness as he lives and dies as the perfect son is applied to you, stands for you, is credited to you, is what Paul says, a righteousness that comes from God. That's by faith. You have the opportunity by faith in Christ to have that, to own that, to live in that, and be free of trying to construct your own self-piety. Until you put your faith in Christ, until you admit, and part of that is admitting who it is, who the, what, how deep the ruin went, right? how complete the, 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 the crimes were, how it was a dozen, that perfect number, a dozen of e a, a collection of evil thoughts that, that were inhabited me. That, that was the, until you can admit that, you're not going to be free and know cleansing power, cleansing love from the heart of God. Because what comes out of our heart is deception. What comes out of God's heart? Rescue and salvation and love and transformation. Freedom, joy, and cleansing. Um, Christian, some of you, though, we're not, we are like, we are like, we're, we're his people, but we're not living here. Um, there's a cycle to the Christian life and a cycle to a Christian understanding and experience where this gets obscured. Um, there are little rabbit trails we go down. We find ourselves lost and confused, and we don't grow. I want to leave you with this, uh, this and I, hopefully with some joy in it that we will uh, we'll have together. Because as you go in the Christian life, you, uh, you, get, an, you get an exalted sense of God and his law. You do, and, and the understanding will increase over a period of time. As you know more and more scriptures, perhaps you memorize the Ten Commandments, or this is your familiar more and more. 
with the holy law of God and the true holiness of God and Christ, you have that increases over time. Then, uh, but also something simultaneously decreases, and we reflected this in worship, in the patterns of worship about confession. Because as we stare at God's perfect beauty and His law, His perfect beauty and His love, and all this perfection, we are aware of what? Failure in our hearts. Seed sins, we'll call them, inside. Addictions. Betrayals. False motives and lies. But when we first came to Christ, which I am encouraging some of you to come, we first came to Christ, the cross was big enough. And we saw in the death and resurrection of the Son of God, the, 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 the bridging of the gap between our discovery and his, and his perfections. Now, as we live the Christian life, though, the cross didn't get any bigger. And what we did was we put things in here. Maybe we put other people down. Maybe we tried to lessen God's law and try to make it, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing it all, but I'm giving a lot, or, I'm, I'm, or whatever it is, I'm giving to the poor. I'm doing something visible, tangible, measurable, and I'm going to lessen or somehow, somehow put, prop, prop this up. You know what, I may be a sinner like Deepak, but I'm not as bad as he is. <laughs> right? And, we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll prop things. Yeah, it's probably true, but it doesn't matter. So, so we'll prop it up. And we'll prop those things up. Well, I can't help it. I just have an addiction. I have that. You know, whatever it is, we'll prop it up. And what we have failed to do, and what we have failed to understand, and we have failed to, we're standing like, like maybe self-righteous Pharisees or confused, uh, confused disciples. The key to growing in the Christian life is to get the cross bigger. To get that idea that Christ loves men like me. Put me, I'll put myself on display. Self-righteous and unholy. Self-righteous and unholy. That's me. I'm self-righteous and I'm unholy. They mate together perfectly, trust me. Well, but the larger the love of God and the heart of God and the cross becomes to me. Worship now happens. The, the gap is bridged. And I'm a life of joy freedom and peace is possible. Let's pray. I love you, Father. I am self-righteous and unholy. That's what comes out of this heart. Um, I praise you that what comes out of your heart, that comes out of your heart, is... uh, the saving love of Jesus Christ, your Son, the power of the Spirit to renew and cleanse. I pray that you would convict us of self-righteousness, criticism and judgment of others. I pray you'd convict us of blaming and uh, not seeing our sin and thinking we see others. Wash all of it. Wash all of that again. Conquer all of that again. Set us free of that all over again. And set free our city. It is self-righteous and unholy, just like us. Set your love free in the city. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for this table in Christ. Amen.
on the night our Savior, this heart of love, <laughs> the heart of love himself, uh, on the night he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. The same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying, this is the cup of the covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Do this and remember me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Our Savior, mindful of the weakness of our sensibilities, the deceitfulness that lies in us about our holiness or our sin, gave us a very tangible, tasteable, a tactile way to remember, to access and by faith believe in Jesus Christ as a cleansing, as a renewal. You know, this blood and this wine will do a little bit to renew your cells and your mitochondria and your heart. You know, it will. In little ways, it will. In those little ways that it figures, figures that out, it, it shows that. It shows that Jesus is going to do that completely. He's <laughs> doing that completely and has done that completely in the cross. So that's why this is such a special moment for us. We believe Christ appears in an un unembarrassed supernaturalism, not as some tangible physical reality, but as a spiritual reality in the table. Whenever the saints of God come together and break in this table, it's spiritually we become partakers in Christ and His grace. For that reason, I have a certain kind of fear and holy dread about this table and that it be administered right and well. If you know and believe in Jesus Christ and are part of his community of faith and you agree and assent to the, to the Apostles' Creed as before you as something that happens in space and time, truly, then uh, you, this is your table. If you're a sinner who's been a long way away from Jesus, there are prayers for you to pray in the back. Uh, if, if you've been struggling with doubt or if you need a, need a pathway back to God, there's a prayer for that. Uh, but I want to encourage... And I love when skeptics are here with us and they show respect for this, this service and they don't partake, but they watch. And I pray that they're watching. The watching of skeptics will uh, arouse their curiosity and it will pique your interest. And that if that's who you are, if you're watching, that you will want to know a God the way that Brittany does, <laughs> the way that David can, and I, I believe we can. Okay, so I, you just watch, and then afterwards you can come and taste the wine if you want. I don't care. It's not nothing special about the wine or the bread. But then there's a, there's a group I get, I get I, I, you know what? You know how Christ gets so stern? Christ gets angry. The mouth of love gets angry. The heart of love gets angry. At what? People who think they're good. Every time I serve and observe this table, I will say this and hope that some will be provoked to new life because of it. If you think you're a good man, Jesse, you are not worthy to clean up the crumbs. You're not worthy. Good men and women are not worthy. Only sinners whose faith is in Christ. All right. Let's enter into some organized chaos. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. As we say it or recite it, you'll know it might be a little bit different translation than what you're used to. Um, we will proceed forward and take the bread and the wine back to our seats. Then we will take the table together. When I say do this in remembrance of me, take and eat and take a drink. Then 
um, we will result, we will respond in jubilant song as Peter starts us in the doxology. All right? And as we start the doxology, it's very brief, we'll sing it together, and then I will pronounce a blessing uh, with, with the kids up front. All right, let's stand. Christian, brother, sister, tell me. Tell me, Shao, tell me, Jordan, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead. Amen. Come. 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 His body is good food. His blood is good drink. He is an answer to the sins of our hearts and our souls. He is our Savior who cleanses. He's a Savior who makes whole. He is a Savior who makes us righteous. Look here, come. We come to taste and see the heart, what comes out of the heart of our God. Isn't that a beautiful idea? What comes out of the heart of our God, not what comes out of our hearts that saves us. Ah. All right. Let's so take and eat. Take and drink. Do this and remember me, he said. to the king. <laughs>